You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Uh, We are back from our two-week summer hiatus. I'd like to Thank everybody who contacted me during that period of time, people who subscribed to the newsletter who commented. Thank you so much. Uh, We always appreciate you interacting with us at the Recovered Life Show. And I'm coming to you today uh, with a solo episode here. Um, I just celebrated uh, 30 years of continuous sobriety. So I wanted to do a show about that, about what I have learned in 30 years of recovery, what I've learned about myself, what I've learned about alcoholism, the areas in which that I felt have made the biggest impact in my journey. First of all, I'd like to say that with all humility, um, I'm not quite sure how I got here. I'm not quite sure how I made it to 30 years. And I mean that, I mean that with all sincerity and humility, um, you know, it has been a rather long journey. I'm going to tell you, and sometimes it's been painful. Uh, sometimes it's been amazing, but, um, but the whole time I've been here, I've been awake, aware and alive for 30 consecutive years. And, uh, you know, Looking back, it's a little surreal. It's hard to kind of believe that 30 years ago, I was in a place where I couldn't stop drinking and that I had this idea that it was time for me to get sober. I'm going to call it a spiritual urging. It was a, I call it a spiritual intervention. I'm not quite sure how I even got to the point where I ended up walking into this 12-step meeting in San Francisco, California, because... To be quite honest with you, I didn't know anyone who was sober. I did not, uh, I I didn't know that sobriety actually was the answer for me. Uh, And the only thing that I knew for sure that if I kept going down the path that I was on, that if I didn't do something right then and there, that I was going to die and drink myself to death. That I had a very, very, very strong understanding of. And there was a little moment in time where I was able to take some sort of action because that moment in time hadn't really come. I had the willpower. I just could never really get there. But this moment in time actually came. It was a late afternoon. I was on Geary Street in San Francisco to date myself. I went to a payphone and I called Alcoholics Anonymous And by weird circumstance or a blessing, literally a block away, there was a meeting. I walked into that meeting and I have not drank since I walked into that meeting 30 years ago. So what have I learned over this period of time? Um, You know, the first thing I want to say with what I have learned um, over 30 years is that one gratitude. Um, there's a lot of people who have a way better program than I do. There's a lot of people who have been through a whole hell of a lot worse than I went through a lot more challenges, 
and were not able to stay sober. And so, you know, I would be remiss and I think selfish not to mention that right at the beginning. I don't have any kind of magic power. I will tell you that, um, you know, I, I did a few things, uh, that I feel that I did, um, over and over again that helped me, which I'm going to share here. But I think there's a bit of a mystery. One of the things that I have learned about recovery is on, on certain aspects of recovery about why people stay sober long-term, why people don't stay sober long-term. There is a little bit of a mystery to me. Uh, one thing I do know is that if you don't take that first drink, uh, you will stay sober, right? Uh, and doing things beyond not taking that first drink was a little overwhelming for me a lot of times in sobriety. So I did get that down. I didn't get to the point where I took that first drink. And that I know uh, is something that definitely worked. That That's obviously a basic principle here is not to drink. Uh, but I have been miserable and not drank. I've been happy and not drank. I, I have been... Uh, really in a good spot uh, in recovery and not drank. And I've been really in a bad spot in my recovery emotionally and not drank. So not drinking, just not picking up, right, was a, was a huge part of it. But there's a lot of people who, um, you know, have really worked at this hard. And this of you, if you've relapsed, if you've done this, it's like, I, I totally, um, I have a lot of empathy because I don't believe that there's any guarantees, right? I do believe there is a bit of a guarantee, which I'm going to go into a little bit later in this podcast about what I have done that I believe gives me a reprieve before I pick up a drink will allow me to intervene, right? And I'm going to go over that in a little bit, but if you're listening to this and you're having a hard time staying sober. I totally understand. And that could be me tomorrow, right? So uh, I have empathy and gratitude for the place that I am in. I want to say that foremost. And I don't hold any grand secret that other people don't do. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't believe that my sobriety is better than other people's sobriety because I have maybe more consecutive time than them. Everybody has the time in which they're at right here and right now. Um, I will say one thing that has not changed, and I hear this a lot and I disagree with people about this. They, they believe that they have changed their relationship with alcohol. I'm going to tell you right, right from the beginning uh, here of, of this podcast is that I do not believe that my relationship with alcohol has changed. I still think about alcohol the same way that I thought about alcohol when I was drinking a week into it, three weeks into it, three years into it, 10 years into it, 20 years into it, now 30 years into it. I, I still think about alcohol the same way. Alcohol for me was a tool to be able to take as much as I could and escape into that, right? I I never developed in the 30 years a relationship with alcohol where I'd really just like to have a glass of wine and look at the sunset. 
if I'm going to be honest with myself, I've had those thoughts, but that's so not true. My idea of drinking is to get as much alcohol as I can, lock myself into some hotel room and basically drink myself to death. Like I, I don't have a, that has not changed. And I think I see a lot of people out there trying to change their relationship with alcohol. You know, in my opinion, and this is just my humble opinion, and if you've been able to do that, you know, hallelujah. Um, in, in my opinion, alcoholics don't change their relationship with alcohol. Now, you might say, Damon, well, what did change around your relationship with alcohol? Well, how I look at my relationship with alcohol has changed. Now, I'm, I know that might sound subtle, so I'm going to say it again. How I look at my relationship with alcohol has changed. My thoughts about alcohol have not changed. When I see alcohol, my first thought is, why are they not drinking in excess? If I ever had to pour a glass of wine for somebody in sobriety, which I've been in those positions, my question is, is like, they're like, why are you pouring so much? My relationship with alcohol is warped. It's never going to be changed. But how I look at that, I understand that my relationship with alcohol is warped. The way I look at alcohol is warped. I have a fundamental uh, knowing about that. That has not changed, right? Like that, that I developed in recovery and that is solid. I understand. I can see that my relationship with alcohol is warped. I, re- I, I can. I know when I see it, I go, oh, that's alcoholism. But my relationship with alcohol is not shit. Like how I view myself, it, 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 that, that has not changed. And I don't believe it will ever change. Um, You know, if it does change, I'll let everybody know. But I, th- I see a lot of people out there beating themselves up. God, man, the way that I look at alcohol hasn't changed. I still look at it and I'm like, why are they not? Why are they only drinking a little bit? Why aren't they drinking the whole bottle? Why aren't they taking this opportunity to drink now? Why would they only take so much? That has not changed. That is the way in which I look at alcohol. That is what makes me an alcoholic. That has not changed. Me being able to identify that, that that's warp thinking, that's changed in 30 years. And I would say that where I'm at today, it's very strong. When I have those feelings, I know a lot of people say, you know, hey, you know, you're going to get 5, 10, 15 years of sobriety and you're never going to feel like drinking again. And if you ever have the feeling that you want to drink or you ever have a craving, you must be doing something wrong and that your sobriety is bad. That's another thing, guys. That's happened to me. Some of the worst cravings I ever had were at 20 years of sobriety. Why did I have them? Because I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> That's why, right? Now, thank God I was able to identify those. Now, did it mean that something was wrong? Well, at the time, yeah. You know, I needed to do certain things in my sobriety that I was not doing. And I was able to do those again. Those were great. But have I had those when I've worked, quote, a almost a perfect program flawless? Yes, I have. Does that mean that I'm doing something wrong? You know, w- with more maturity as being in recovery, I realize no, that's that's alcoholism. 
Sometimes alcoholics feel that they want to drink even when everything is perfect. That's what makes you an alcoholic, right? So I don't beat myself up when I have those. Now, I'm going to be honest. Do I have those a lot? No. Do I have those frequently? No, I don't. Uh, Do they come up every once in a while? Yeah, they do. They do. But what's changed is I don't beat myself up. And I don't beat myself up that my relationship with alcohol has not changed, right? I don't, it's not going to change. I'm an alcoholic, right? So that's number one. And I want to say that up front because I see so many people torturing themselves. And I was one of those people. Must be doing something wrong. I'm not looking at alcohol differently. No, I'm not. That's just alcoholism, right? The second thing I wanted to um, point out here, and we've had a lot of podcasts about this, and it's acceptance. Acceptance, right? Like where I'm at right here and now. Now, this is something that's come in and out, but this is something that I have worked on. And I think that this is one of the keys of of continuous sobriety, and I know it's definitely helped me, right? And I do believe that everybody is different. One of the things that I got fairly early on, I'm going to say in the first couple of months, is that acceptance that I was an alcoholic and was never going to be able to drink again. Okay, Now, I could drink, but I was never going to be able to drink normally again. And that there were no guarantees if I did pick up. And thank God for the people that were around me. I was around some people who really understood the basics of alcoholism. And they said, Damon, you could pick up. But the spiritual journey that you're on ends. And the guarantee that you'll ever get back to the place that you're at, that also ends. But if you do stay sober, we have a a very good experience that your life will change if you keep working on it to the better. That even though you might not be feeling great now, in the today, in the moment, that it will change. But we cannot guarantee that if you pick up, you'll even ever get back to ever having physical sobriety again. This is something that I accepted as a fact early on. Now, there was a struggle in accepting that. There might be a lot of people here that are listening to this and saying, you know, I want to try to get something from this episode, and and I hope you do. I you know I hope I can part impart something that helps people, but that I want to get something from this episode that's going to help me. And I'll tell you that was one of it right there is acceptance that I'm an alcoholic and that I cannot drink like a normal person. That that has been broken, and I'm not going to be able to come back. There was a saying in AA when I first got in. And I don't hear this a lot now, but it was a great saying. It's like, you cannot make a pickle a cucumber again. And that is with me. I cannot become a social drinker again. That has broken. That has broken. It's not It's not going to happen. Now, do I ever feel like that? Yeah, we were talking about that right at the beginning of the podcast. Yet, yeah, like a fleeting moment. Yes, that's alcoholism. Alcoholics do, I think, at the core, hold some weird random hope that they might be able to drink socially again. But I know deep down inside, acceptance-wise, that that is a lie. 
And if I see a commercial and it looks good, or I see a situation that, wow, maybe alcohol will give me some relief out of that. I, you know, I go back to that acceptance is that there is no guarantee for me, right? That if I drink, I will be able to come back, that my life is not going to get better. But I also want to throw this out there that a lot of people, I think, lie in recovery because they want people to stay sober and they say a drink's not going to make something better. Yes, it will. It will make something better very quickly. I understand that if I drink, I will feel a lot better very quickly until I don't. And the until I don't is guaranteed. Okay. But the immediate reprieve, yes, I will have immediate reprieve when I drink because I'm an alcoholic. It works for me very, very well until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. The until it doesn't is the problem, right? That's what I have learned in the acceptance is that I will never get to a place where that I'll just be able to pick it up, drop it. That's just not going to happen for me. It's, I do believe it's a level of maturity. Now, has that changed? No. Now, one of the things that I have learned in my recovery that's really, really helped me with the acceptance part is every day I start my day with that acceptance, that I'm an alcoholic and that I need a daily reprieve. For me, it's a higher power. I say a little prayer in the morning. One of the first things I do is I plug into what I call that spiritual Wi-Fi because for me, I learned very early on whether God existed or whether God didn't existed, whether I believed in God, whether I didn't, that I needed to have a relationship with something and that I needed to be able to have that acceptance very, very early on. It was self, you know, it was self survival for me and that I needed to start very early on understanding that that acceptance. And I believe that that is one of the core things. And I mess up every once in a while. The other day it was like 11 o'clock cause I had slept in, I'd had coffee. I got sucked up in the internet and I did not do that daily check-in but for the most part, over 30 years, I have done that daily check-in, fairly religious at the first kind of cognizant time that I have in the morning when I wake up. And I, and, I, and I thank my higher power for another day clean and sober yesterday that I had, and I ask for another one today. Why do I do that? Because people say, you know, Damon, like, why are you still doing that 30 years into it? You know, I've had a lot of normie friends say, so why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because for me... That is the acceptance that resets it for me. People say that's so negative, Damon. It's not. It's not for me. It's positive because it's reality, right? Um, I quote George Snyder a lot, who's helped me a lot out in my recovery. He always says, you know, a problem without a solution is a fact. And the fact is that, you know, I'm still an alcoholic, even though I have not drank for 30 years, I'm still an alcoholic. The first drink still will kill me. And a lot of people ask me, Damon, well, how do you know that? Right? A lot of people outside of recovery, I've had therapists basically say, how do you, how, how do you know that? Right? I, I know it because there's a lot of people who listen to the podcast. There's a lot of people that are in my circle who've had a lot of time and have started drinking again and have gone out and not come back. Those are the people that aren't listening and that have come back and gotten sobriety. And I've seen it take people out. 
I've seen it to people take people out with 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, five years, 40 years, 50 years. I met somebody who decided after 50 years that they could drink again, and lo and behold, they could not. So I have enough empirical data that alcoholics don't ever master that. And I have developed just enough emotional maturity to be afraid of that, <laughs> right? Just enough to be afraid of that. The other big thing that I have learned here in the 30 years, the other big takeaway is my interpreter has changed drastically, that you need to change your interpreter. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, here's the deal. You might not need to do this to stay sober long-term, but if you want to be happy and you want your life to move forward, you have to kind of learn this fact, is that in early recovery, I learned that it wasn't just alcohol that I had to change, that really at the core, alcohol was an allergy. There's something happened when I drank it. it I, I couldn't stop drinking it once I started. Yes, that was an issue, and I, I, I had to have acceptance around that and deal with that. But I also needed to change the interpreter. What is the interpreter? This is the thinking. That the root cause, there was a thinking issue going on with me. And most of the pursuit I'm going to tell you in long-term sobriety is changing and modifying that thinking pattern, right? We call this emotional sobriety, right? And I found that early on in my recovery that I had to change the way that I was thinking this interpreter, that when something happened to me, the interpreter would kick in and say, Damon, let me tell you what this means when you lost your job. In early recovery, I remember I was a bartender. I could not keep my job. My interpreter would jump in and say, Damon, let me tell you what this means. This means that you're going to be homeless. This means that you're going to lose everything. This means that, you know, no one's going to uh, take you seriously because you don't have a job. Look at all these people who are going to be looking bad on you. You're never, you're not going to be able to eat. You're never going to, right? The interpreter. This interpreter, I had to get to a place in my life where I had to go out on faith and say, you're fired. This, you're, this interpreter is not telling me, it's not presenting me what's actually going on. You know, I remember one of the worst things that happened to me is I, you know, I lost my girlfriend when I got sober. I lost my apartment when I got sober. I lost my job when I got sober. I lost all of my friends when I got sober. I It was just never-ending loss when I got sober. And that was a blessing in disguise, looking back at it now. And my interpreter was telling me the whole way, you're going down. You're never going to be able to say, you've lost all these people. All these people are walking away with you. What I didn't understand for me, it was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And so what I've learned is when I have consecutive loss and that interpreter who I fired, I don't know, a million times now, comes back on the scene and says, Damon, let me tell you what all this means. This means that you're not in a good place. You're not, it's not going to work for you. It's not, you know, this is all bad, doom and gloom. I need to fire that interpreter. So for me, one of the things I've learned is, is that if I fired that interpreter and it comes back, I needed to hire new interpreters, right? And they needed to say, sorry, you've been fired. I'm the new interpreter. It's all, I, I look at it as my version of my press secretary. And I'm not only the person they're doing press on, 
but I'm the person also that is receiving the press, right? Like, so I, what am I telling myself? Hey, you know what? This is a bad situation right now. Yes. Car crash, health concerns, whatever it is. Do I want to be here? No. Is this the worst thing that ever happened to me? One of the worst things that happened to me in early sobriety was admitting that I was an alcoholic. The second worst thing that happened to me was admitting that I was powerless. Okay. Like that, like forget about it. Okay. And then the third worst thing that happened to me was that I had to admit that my life was unmanageable. All these were the worst case scenario for me. Seriously. I still don't like it. It still bugs me to this day. What's some of the best things that ended up happening were those three things, right? So understanding that I was powerless over a situation gave me an opportunity to reinvent my life. Now, what what happened as a result of me getting sober? Really an amazing thing. Everything that I thought that I wanted in recovery, um, really honestly was kind of superficial looking back. What I got was a whole lot more. And I keep getting gifts from being sober. I'm going to talk about one of the gifts is one of the gifts is my nieces and nephews, the people that are around me, my my daughter, my child never have seen me drink. Uh I came from a line of people where there were not people in recovery. My family knows that I'm in recovery. There are people in my life know that I'm in recovery. And what that means is I've been able to be of service to people, right? Um, I was raised in a household that had drinking. Uh, my child was raised in a household where there was not drinking. And what that was able to create was absolutely amazing. Breaking a generational curse of a lot of people who had alcoholism in my family, not everybody, the, the far, you know, the, the majority of people did not have alcoholism, but they were affected by alcoholism. I was able to break that in my family, right? That has been far the biggest gift that, that I have learned. And so if you're out there listening to this, I'm going to tell you one of the biggest gifts that I've gotten from long-term recovery that I never would have imagined, okay, was just the physically staying sober, not even doing it well, right? Sometimes, sometimes I was the worst person to recover, literally, like I fought it tooth and nail, but just the physically being able to stay sober brought me that big gift, right? Even kicking and screaming, I got the gift. So a message to everybody out there who, is saying, man, I, you know, I'm in it three years now and it's really kind of getting tough and I got to do more work. Why do I really want to do this anymore? Right? Like one of the biggest gifts I got seriously was just physically staying sober, physically staying. So right. Like just the accumulation of how it affected everybody around me was truly amazing. I never would have been able to see that. I didn't have the maturity and the ability to see that when I first came in. So not being able to really understand where those gifts were going to come from and what was going to drive those gifts and everything, I think was something that I have learned actually 
just being able to stay sober, being able to do, being able to do the podcast. If you were to tell me 30 years ago that I was going to be doing a podcast about sobriety, I would have laughed you off of the, I mean, there's just no way that I would have been in this position that I thought I would be in this position. I couldn't have picked that, but this has been such a great ability for me to be of service for me to be able to showcase these amazing contributors that we have that have just incredible sobriety, interventionists, doctors, therapists, experts. It's been just such a great learning opportunity for me and others. I would have never have seen that coming. And one of the other things that I got that I think was really good is with this interpreter is that we were talking about the interpreter is to be able to rewrite what this interpreter was seeing, being able to look at things more as a gift, right? We're going to be doing an episode uh, coming up here about life on life's terms. That's a big one to start to reprogram the way in which that I think, right? And what is important to me has really been this amazing journey. The final thing that I want to bring up here is the spiritual journey that I've been on. And again, when I say this, I say this with all humility because I don't really come across as kind of a spiritual person. I, I'm really bad at practicing it. Um, if you would have told me when I first came in, if I kind of had, you know, my idea regarding spirituality and God, I would have told you that it was strong. It was this and that. I had no idea when I first came in, right? But I think what I've been able to do is this pursuit. I call it a pursuit because I don't think we're ever really there. This pursuit of going a little deeper with that and how I've gone deeper with that. What's 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 come out is more of a relationship with the higher power. More of somebody that I could talk to day to day. As opposed to some deity that's out there or this thing that's going to, you know, swoop in on a cloud and kind of change all these things in some unrealistic way for me. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's much more of a relationship of a pursuit. One of the things that long-term sobriety is able to give you is to be able to pursue this. Now, I believe that one of the keys is that you have to keep pursuing because when I talk to people who relapse after long-term sobriety, when I ask them, what is some of the things, one of the reasons that you went out? And a lot of times they say, it's the pursuit stopped. I stopped becoming interested in things. That and life became not fun, right? The emotional sobriety stopped, life became not fun, and they were stagnant. So one of the things, one of the lessons that I've learned is that you could never really be stagnant. Now they say you can't coast in recovery. I don't know. I, I, I think you can. I think you can do work in spurts, but you always have to have something going on. And for me, that's just a relationship. I'm always trying to learn new things. You know, I, I tried to learn meditation earlier this year. I failed at it, right? Uh, but I didn't totally fail because I pursued it and I'm going to pick it up again and pursue it again, right? So I'm always pursuing new things, not only in my recovery, 
but I'm pursuing new things in my life, right? New skills for, for the job market, uh, new hobbies and interests. I got really into gardening. We've done episodes on that in recovery, right? I wanted to learn different things. If you're pursuing things in recovery, I find you're a lot less likely to just bounce out of your recovery. That's what I found. I think that pursuit, especially that spiritual pursuit, learning more, service, these pursuits, I think is really a hedge against relapse and being able to stay in long-term recovery. Guys, I hope I highlighted some things here, and I definitely say this with all humility. I don't have the secrets. You know, um, I've worked with a lot of people in recovery that have been trying to get sober, stay sober, improve their sobriety, and I'll be the first to admit, I know what's worked for me. I see what works for other people. I have the way to be able to communicate that in a way sometimes that people can understand it and put it into practice in their life. But I don't hold all the keys. And I think that's the, the uh, you know, I'm going to end this podcast with how I started it. There's a lot of I don't know in recovery. This humility of I don't know. I don't know. You know, I had a, a, a therapist for a period of time. And one of the things that, you know, she really challenged me on was she's like, well, you know, you just have this really active participation in your own sobriety. Like you are the one that has gotten you sober. And I, you know, and we, we had this huge disagreement on that. And I'd like, I'm not quite sure that I'm the one I know I did the work. Yes. I did the things that were in front of me. That's the empirical data. I see that, but there is a bit of a mystery to it. And that mystery made me feel a little anxious, a lot anxious, to be honest, in early sobriety. I find that as part of a beauty now. I know if I do the little things that are in front of me, that big mysterious thing about why, who, all that stuff I don't have to worry about, that just kind of takes care of itself and I can watch it in the beauty that it is, as opposing trying to manage it and control it, because I'm never going to be able to do that. You know, I'd like to take a moment to thank everybody here that's really helped me on this road. A couple people I want to, you know, put a shout out to is my, you know, my mom, uh, my immediate family, my wife, my daughter. Um, I'd also like to thank Kevin and Christy who listen to the show every once in a while. Guys, if it was not for you, if it was not for you early on grabbing me in San Francisco and helping me. I would never be in the place that I am now. George, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Dick G, a lot of people who really helped me out. I'd like to thank you so much. And I'd also like to thank all of you. I really believe when COVID hit, uh, God told me, do this. Something will come out of it. I still don't know. You know, it's still it's still a bit of a mystery why I'm doing this and, you know, how this is how I've been able to go like almost three years doing this with hundreds of episodes, talking with all these great people. But I'd like to thank you guys, because I think you guys as a community and recovered life, when things were really uncertain out there, when there was a lot of uncertainty, I found a lot of certainty in this. 
and it allowed me to be a to pursue, to be of service, to also for you guys, you guys have really been of service to me. So I'd like to thank you so much, everyone uh, that's participated in this. If you got some benefit, definitely like the show, comment, love to hear your comments and spread it to somebody who could maybe use it. I, you know, this is all about how to live your best recovered life. You know, uh, my message to all of you guys at 30 years uh, of sobriety is I'm going to continue to try to live my best recovered life. I can't wait to live my best recovered life with you guys when you're pursuing that as well. Thank you. I love you guys all. And thank you guys so much for all of your participation with the recovered life show and me personally. God bless. Sometimes addiction recovery can be a lonely battle, but you don't have to fight it alone. At Recovered Life, we're dedicated to helping you live your best recovered life. And that's why we're inviting you to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Every week, we carefully curate exclusive content from leading minds in addiction recovery, mental health, and all things important to the recovery lifestyle. Stay in the know with the latest news about addiction and get exclusive invitations to specially recovery-focused events and explore insights tailored to support recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, codependency, disordered eating, dysfunctional family dynamics, gambling, and so much more. With our newsletter, each week becomes an opportunity for growth, healing, and taking a step closer to the life you deserve. Take your first step towards a brighter future today. Go to recoveredlife.us and subscribe for free. Sign up now at recoveredlife.us. Dot us.